Good morning again. This morning we were driving in and uh, we took Briargate Parkway to the interstate and I was looking out on the academy and I, I literally was thinking, it's about time for BCT. And I know some of you uh, have been there, boot camp or BCT or the equivalent at West Point or whatever, Beast Barracks, I guess, is it still called that? Uh, and you know that feeling, that kind of ominous feeling, it comes over you. Uh, when I flew to Quantico, I remember that. It's like I'm about to be killed and uh, I did survive. But anybody relate to that? Uh, I'm, I'm sure you can. All right, so a little shift this morning. Uh, first of all, the uniform of the day is Hawaiian shirt. Make sure you get that right next week. Uh, but secondly, I'd like for all the kids to come forward. All the kids, would you come forward and just sit up here on the platform? Thank you. Now, if you're wondering whether you qualify as a kid or not, uh, you just, you know, figure that out. If you're over 80, you might be on the borderline. All right, hey guys, how you doing? Good morning. Are you guys baseball fans? Good. Well, who's your favorite team? Rockies. I'm the You like the Pirates? We have a Dodger, we have a Pirate, uh, so it's good to have believers in here. Uh, we have Rockies fans as well, so it's great. Um, okay, so this morning I wanted the kids to come forward. Uh, there's two reasons. One is I wanted to share with you, uh, the parents have mentioned to me, that's just something we know that, you know, kids make noise, kids are kind of messy, and that's something we deal with as a church. Uh, you know, we certainly understand that. The parents have this conundrum because they want to come in and hear the message. Uh, I don't know why, but they do. But anyway, they come in to hear the message. But then they've got their kids, but if they go out with their kids, then they're not in here, and so why not just watch online? So there's a lot of conundrums today with relation to children and with uh, raising them. But I want you to look up here and see, this is your treasure as a church. This is your future. These are our future leaders. Uh, this, these are our jewels. And we are... We have a lot of highly intelligent people in this church. Uh, we have intelligent people on the board. We have intelligent people in the congregation. And we need to figure out together how best to serve not only our children, but our parents and our church. So I'm not proposing anything to you this morning, but I'm just saying let's think about this and think about how God will want us to, to use that. And also these families know other families who could come in here. We can serve them as well. And I'm just praying that God would give us wisdom on that. Uh, anybody with me on that? All right, so let's continue to pray. Now, for you guys up on the platform, thank you for coming up this morning. I have something special for you. I have a Dodger fan who's going to help me hand these out. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, so I want everybody to get a flag. I see the flag of India right off the bat here. Would anybody like the flag of India? Okay, there you go. All right, so I'm going to give everybody a flag. Now, at this point, some of these I'm not sure of. Will you take that one? Or you, you, you want to pick one? Who would like this one? Okay, great. You like Jamaica, do you? You're a bobsledder in training. This is a pretty flag. Who would like this one? All right, great. Australian, is this Australia or New Zealand? They always run together. All right, great. All right. We have an Aussie. How about this one? Everybody get a flag? Anybody want multiple flags? That flag. Yeah, you can have that one. Which one is this? Um, you're going to look that up and find out today. Which one is this? Yeah, for sure. That's a great one. That's El Salvador. What's, what's that? You can have two flags if you wish. I'll tell you what, I'm going to put them right here and you pick the flag you want.
Can I have four? All right, you have 10 seconds, and then I'm going to have you sit back down. All right, 10 seconds. You ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, everybody, got one? Really? And why do you think I'm handing these flags out to you today? Here's Canada. Oh, Canada. Canada. You want Canada? <laughs> Here's Brazil. If you like soccer, this is your. You like Brazil? Okay. And what is this one? I want that one. You want that one? This one's the flag of Israel. All right. This is what I'm going to do, guys. Everybody ready? I want you to take your flag home. And with your parents, look up and see what country that flag belongs to. And every day with your parents, pray for that country. So find out what they need prayer for. Would you do that? Yeah. And this morning, now you're not going to believe this, but I'm serious about this morning. I'll take this flag as an example. Today, I'm going to talk about the fact that in the book of Acts, a bunch of people in one day came to believe in Jesus Christ. 3,000 people. Can you believe it? 3,000. That's a lot more than we have in here. That's like what they get at a Rockies game. So, so here's what I want to do, guys. Every time today I say 3,000, I want you to hold the flag up. Don't stab anybody with it. Hold it up and say, woohoo! Yeah, can you try that with me? 3,000! Okay, that's good. You're getting there. All right, let's try it one more time. Here we go. 3,000! All right, because that reminds us of how people have come to Jesus Christ. Fair enough? Okay, so now take your flag or flags and go back to your parents. Or if you find somebody better looking, you can go back to them. I apologize if I've offended your country this morning. I believe this is Norway, right? Okay, so I'm going to hold Norway as an example. And out of respect, let me put these up. Here's Korea, South Korea. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 while I grab the flags. All right, so this morning, 3,000. Woohoo! All right, here we go. So uh, in Acts chapter 2, last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit coming and the believers there, which were only 120, speaking in other languages. All the believers actually were speaking uh, in a different language, uh, the language of somebody that was there visiting or living there, but from another country. And so we had this multitude of nations. And I mentioned last week that I thought I'd ask Alicia to run the numbers. This is from our website from March uh, 1st to the present time. The visits on our website since March 1st, we've had 2,925 from the United States. We have all sorts of states represented, obviously a lot of Colorado, as you can imagine, then Arizona, Texas, California, Georgia, unknown. I'm not sure what their affiliation is. Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, Missouri, etc. But in terms of international visits to our website, we've had 54 from Germany, Canada, the United Kingdom, the Philippines, India, Belgium, Republic of Korea, Senegal, South Africa, I mean, just all over the place, all the way down to Vanuatu and Venezuela. 
So we've had quite a few people from around the world check out our website, so I think that's really cool. So we know that we have more of an influence than we realize, and it's good to be reminded of that. Well, just like that in the early church in the book of Acts, all of a sudden they're getting to speak to the other cultures. Now think about it. They had one homogeneous group, one group of 120 who knew each other, and then all of a sudden they get to preach the gospel, and when they do that, that day in one day, 3,000 people come to Christ. All right, 3,000. So um, anyway, with all this going on, it gets crazy, and people say, what in the world's going on? we got these people speaking in strange languages, and what do the cynics say? They must be drunk. And so it's just funny. There's a lot of humor, actually, in the Bible, and even in the book of Acts, you see a lot of humorous things, including Acts 12, which I think is the funniest thing in the Bible. But in Acts chapter 2, we'll get there someday, the day of Pentecost arrived, we have the speaking in tongues, and then down in verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, verse 14, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. And the third hour happened to be nine in the morning. So he's saying, it's only 9 a.m. They can't be drunk. Part of the reason for that was that was the hour of prayer. But I think also there may be a little humor in that. I mean, it's early in the day, and so read into that what you will. Now, we have the whole group of disciples here, but Peter stands up and speaks. And I love it because I think the incredible thing about this is that this is the Peter who denied Jesus three times, the night of the betrayal. And yet, when his neck is on the line in front of the nation where he could easily be arrested and killed, Peter boldly stands up to speak. So I want to share a, a couple of things with you to kind of help this come alive for you. So anyway, uh, as I'm moving through, by the way, on uh, July 3rd, the week after next weekend, we're going to talk about body life from Acts chapter 2. Today we're going to get into this uh, with, that I titled, we're going to need a bigger potluck because all, all of a sudden the church uh, cookout, the church potluck dinner is a lot bigger than it used to be. The timeline, again, the day of Pentecost, Sunday, May 24th, uh, that day. So the disciples have been praying and searching for 10 days, and now here comes the Holy Spirit upon them. The people came from around the Roman Empire. I showed you that last week. We're in Jerusalem today in the passage. The audience is the Jews uh, who have come from around the empire. The structure right now is only 12 apostles and 120 followers of Jesus. So we have a very, very small group, but I notice each one of them is gifted for ministry in this passage, which is interesting. And I want to share for a moment the idea of making the Bible come alive, which I've shared the overview of you. I know this is quick, but just bear with me here. Today I want to talk about the setting, which is Jerusalem. The setting, which is the gospel going to Jews who not long before this rejected Jesus and had him killed. And Peter bluntly gets in front of them and said, you crucified him, his blood is on your hands. It's amazing that Peter would do that, which gets down to on the lower left, the story stage and stars. We don't give enough credence to the fact the Bible is full of stories that have characters, that have a plot, if you will, and one of the stars, the characters, is Peter. And Peter here, all of a sudden, is a changed man. And I think it's, you know, so often we talk about Peter as this guy who was a coward. 
And yet we forget to look at the book of Acts where he was bold and he stood up and he proclaimed his faith. And so I want to give Peter uh, the credit that is due Peter for his faith here. And obviously the setting is the context. You can't miss it. We're here in Jerusalem with people that rejected Jesus. And Peter is telling them, your time is running out. If you don't act soon, uh, you're going to face judgment. And we know that in August of A.D. 70, the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem sent two million Jews into diaspora, and they were there until 1948, for the most part. So he is right. It's about to happen. So that's the making the Bible come alive thing. So just look at the character of Peter as it has changed, the character arc of Peter, and I'm going to get to that next. So anyway, back in Acts chapter 2, Peter is giving the gospel because he's explaining to them what it means, and it says in verse 16, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I think we have to admit that in the scriptures here, we see that it's not just the apostles who are gifted for ministry. God pours out the Holy Spirit on every believer. Every believer is gifted for ministry. They are able to speak in tongues at that time. That was a special situation. Paul makes it clear that's not for everybody, but also at the same time, he leaves room open that yes, it exists today, but it has to be in the right context. But everybody here is gifted. They are all ministers in that sense. The issue of church leadership is a separate issue, and I'm not going there today except just to say that in our discussion about leadership, we tend to forget that everyone receives the Holy Spirit and everyone's a minister, and I do not buy the clergy-laity distinction. They are all ministers. We are all ministers. Every one of you that has come to Jesus Christ is a minister, and if you're eight years old in this room today and you've received Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you, you have been given a ministry by God. So we need to, that to me is a biblical understanding of the equipping of the laity, that we don't really have laity, but we all are ministers in Jesus Christ, small m, right? Is there anything unbiblical about that? I mean, that's perfectly out of the Bible, and we see it here, I think. But then he warns them that the days of judgment are coming. In verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, A lot of times I'm asked, are we in the last days? The answer is an unqualified absolute yes. My perspective on it is that the last days really are the the days of the church era. And there will come a time, we might call it the end of time, whatever, the end times. But only God knows, and it's not like we're going to get a timetable right up to that very minute. So with everything going on, people are like, are we in the end times? The answer in a general sense is yes, but it was in the end times in 1917 as well, 1918. Think of what happened back then. And so rather than fixating on, is this the moment, our fixation should be on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to all because that day of judgment will come. And everyone 
is going to face the Lord at some point, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'll never forget having a student years ago tell me, um, you may want to receive Jesus, but if God doesn't want you to right then, you can't. He won't receive you. And I'm like, that's heresy. That's heresy. God will receive you. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you and you respond, God wants you in his arms. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is a chance just for you to think about it today. If you've never actually done that, you need to get that straight with the Lord. It's a universal offer here. It's for everyone. Now, Peter goes on to say, and I mean, just imagine being in the context. One of the things in drama they talk about is blocking or positioning. If we were going to dramatize this today, we would have to think about where would the crowd be? Where would Peter be? And where would the disciples or apostles be? Would they be lined up behind him or whatever? Peter stands up in some spot to speak to the whole crowd and he shares the gospel with them and it's amazing and it's courageous and it's the power of the Holy Spirit entering Peter. And he said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a guy you all saw recently in Jerusalem, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, even Josephus said he was a wonder worker. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Have any of you ever been accused of murder? You know, if you have, please don't tell us. <laughs> That's exactly what he's saying. You may have delegated it to the Romans, but you killed him. In no way is this intended to be anti-Semitic. That's not the point. But back in that time, that's what they did. They killed the prophets. They killed Jesus. But here's the amazing thing. Please do not miss this. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God intended for his son to go to the cross. This is a little uh, blunt. It was God's will to execute his son. It was God's definite plan. Foreknowledge, that's the Greek word prognosis. You know, doctors use that word. The word for uh, definite here, definite plan, is horizo, where we get the word horizon from. To determine a fixed point, God's fixed point for mankind was to take his son and put him on the cross and have him executed on behalf of you. That's staggering. I wrestle with it because I can't ever preach it strongly enough. I can't, I feel like I just don't do well with it. How do I preach that? But do you understand the significance of that? That God loved you so much that before time began, he determined he would execute his son for you. That's staggering. And Jesus was killed by lawless men, but it's because everybody wanted it. What if the crowd had said, no, we don't want Barabbas, we want Jesus. We'd have had a whole different uh, situation. And I feel like the crucifixion of Jesus was the most fully, universally participated event in the entire universe in the history of the universe because all of us participated because he died for my sins if I had not committed sins if I had not had the sin of Adam etc Jesus would not have had to die for me 
But I put him on the cross, and so did you. We all did. So Peter is telling the crowd, this is the reality. It's your choice now what you do, but you need to know this. And he talks, then he goes on. I mean, this is positive. He talks about King David. Because he said, you crucified Jesus, but in verse 24, God raised him up. God raised him up. It did not end with a death. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that expression. The grave cannot hold Jesus. Jesus never decomposed. He never decayed. The grave could not hold him. That's awesome. And he was released. Now David looks ahead, and David was the ancestor of Jesus. So David looks to his son and calls him my God and said, I saw the Lord always before me. Verse 26, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. Verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. This is a quote from Psalm 16. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So what, what Luke is doing here is telling us that when Peter gave this gospel presentation, he gave this uh, message to the nation, that he was saying, hey, Jesus was the Messiah promised of David. Jesus was crucified, you know that, but he was also raised. Remember Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise? We're going to go straight there. We're not going to go to Hades. We don't have to lay over in Atlanta. We're going straight to be with the Father. It was a beautiful comfort. But David died, verse 29, we see his tomb. Herod actually built a nice tomb for David because David's tomb was being robbed. You know, they were trying to take gold and stuff out of there. So Herod built a nice marble tomb for David. But that's a great point because Peter says, you can see David's tomb. You know he died. You know the bones are there. But you won't find the bones of Jesus because he's been resurrected. And so it's just an amazing thing. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. By the way, David lived a thousand years before Christ. Even a thousand years before, God has this prophecy. In other words, God's in control of history. He's got it. It's in his hands. In verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is what you're hearing today. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Jesus goes straight to the presence of God. The Jewish thought was that only God could be with God, right? That the presence of God was not a place for sinners. So the fact Jesus would go and be at the throne of God and be seated there shows he is equal to God. It shows his nature. It shows his incredible glory. And that's what Peter wants them to see. You crucified him, but now he's with God, seated with God. The nations are his footstool back then. You, if you placed your feet on something that contaminated it, that was disrespectful, etc. And so basically what he's saying is that Jesus owns the nations. All of them. And so this day with all the nations, we're going to see how many people come to Christ. 
3,000. Just seeing if you're still there. So it's just amazing. And uh, so now the application, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord means Yahweh. It's the God who appeared to Moses in Exodus 3. And he's saying he's not only your Messiah, he actually is your Lord Yahweh who appeared to Moses. He is it. He is God and has been all along. And so that's how he finishes. And so what we need to see, the early church exalts Jesus Christ. That's the one thing they do the most, and we do it right here. Now, I love verse 37. This is great. This is the dream of any person preaching a revival. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were, it's like stabbed. They were in pain emotionally. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? <coughs> and Peter said to them, here's the answer. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, isn't it awesome? They want us to know, what do we do? Okay, we, we're going to accept your message. Now, what do we do? And Jesus says, you need to repent, or Peter says, uh, which means you need to turn back toward God, realize you've been a sinner, receive Jesus, and then be baptized as a statement of what you have done. Because when you receive Jesus Christ, he comes in and cleanses your heart. Baptism represents that as a cleansing but be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 39, this applies to us, the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off. I think he's referring to the Gentiles there. All the way down to 2022, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now there's a hint in there of election, and I believe it, and I believe that's in there. But the thing is, the bottom line is, you've heard the gospel message, it's up to you. Are you going to receive it or not? And it's your choice. And he gave many other signs. He preached and preached. And he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation, this corrupt, evil generation. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Woohoo! All right. That's a lot of people to baptize. A lot of people. That number is really significant because the city at that time during feast days swelled between 55,000 and 200,000 and 3,000 people come here. Now let's run the numbers. Well done. What was the church numerically before? 120. What is it now? Woohoo! Think about the implications of this, my friends. That's 25 times the number of believers who all of a sudden descend upon the church. That's a lot of covered dishes. That's one giant potluck, isn't it? So we have to take a look at it this way. The structure now, all of a sudden, not even overnight, just in an afternoon, 12 apostles, 3,120 followers of Jesus Christ. 3,000 are added to the church. 
So, you know, I told you about the growth report. Take a look at it. This is what it was before at 120. You can barely see the line. That's what it is now on a scale of 0 to 20,000. Just move it in a little closer. In one afternoon or one morning even, that is the growth of the Church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Yes, that's amazing. What would happen if all of a sudden in this context here, let's say we have 140 people thereabouts uh, today attending, and we multiplied up by a factor of 25, how many people would that be? Anybody good at math? All right, it's well above 3,000. And here's the amazing thing with it all. I'm going to share this, and you can chew on this and think about it. At this particular time, they had no New Testament. The one through eight are on the previous slide I've shown you in previous weeks. They had no New Testament, and I'm not knocking the New Testament. They needed that, but right now in AD 33, they have no New Testament. They had no creeds. They had no live stream. They had no website. And yet, 3,000 people came to Christ. They had no doctrinal statements or categories. They had no constitution, bylaws, or committees. I'm not saying there's any direct correlation, but there's a direct correlation. They had no church buildings. Not one. Obviously, we have to balance everything out, but I've seen church buildings interfere with the gospel as much as they've helped. But we have nice lawns. They had no denominations. Don't read too much into that, but it's the truth. There was none of that there. They had no ordained clergy. The Reformation had not happened yet. They each received the Holy Spirit. They were massively evangelistic. They were exalted, they exalted to the highest the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when we start talking about this stuff, people get nervous, I understand. I want to share something with you and just, just let the Lord speak to you through it. If, just see what God wants you to think about it. The church is not an audience to be entertained. It is an army to be empowered. You'll understand my heart better if you understand for the last 50 years, hands down, without question, my favorite movie has been Patton. That's how I look at the church. Oh, we want to be on fire like Toasty. In 2015, I did a board retreat for the board of the Orchard Foundation at the CNMA building here in Colorado Springs, which is a really beautiful building, but we did the board retreat in the conference room and a thought came to mind, I had never really put it together like that, but in my board consulting with ministries around the world for a number of years, uh, and just looking at the dynamics of governing boards, I think this relates to boards, but also to Christian organizations, I kind of determined that they tended to fall into two general categories. Either they were maintenance-focused, like let's keep everything in line, let's protect ourselves, let's watch out for liability, don't get too far out of the lines, ministry leaders, or they tended to be entrepreneurial. They looked for opportunities. 
that stereotype there is the first group tends to look at what we can't do, the second group tends to look at what we can do. And in ministries, it's kind of been this way. I've noticed, I've worked a lot with parachurch ministries. Parachurch ministries tend to be very entrepreneurial or missional. That's why they're there. They tend to be pretty assertive in trying to reach out and grow. The challenge for churches is churches can be more maintenance focused. Like, let's maintain what we have for the believers. But the challenge with that is it makes it difficult to be entrepreneurial and missional because we can get wrapped up in ourselves. Now, I think it's a false dichotomy to say it has to be one or the other. I think we need both. I think the body needs to be taken care of, but we just don't want to lose our mission in that. And Frax had some difficult uh, challenges. Um, you might remember the movie, The Perfect Storm. The Perfect Storm, there were three major storms that converged in New England off Gloucester, that area up there in Massachusetts, and it produced The Perfect Storm. And there were three different things that happened. Jay and I were talking the other day I feel like Frack had gone through a perfect storm the last couple of years uh, between doing the church plant, which effectively split the church in half numerically. Uh, then COVID hits, and obviously you lose your pastor. That's a perfect storm situation. And in a perfect storm, uh, you get under great stress, and it's very challenging. And, uh, and a lot of things happen when that takes place. I mean, it's just easy to say, I don't know where we're at. I don't know who we are. I mean, I've had people say that even the last week. Who are we now? What's our identity? Uh, in all of that craziness, you can end up having trust issues. All sorts of things happen. And so I understand that there's a point of time, period of time, where we have to be maintenance focused, that we need to kind of regroup. And that's great. And take some time to regroup and then kind of refocus and think about where we're going. But I think also the challenge I would give all of us is that I think you don't stay there. I think you move on and become missional. And see what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your church. So the question kind of is, well, where are we right now? I mean, that's a good question. But, uh, you know, you get different questions and statements that are made. Like when you're maintenance focused, it's like, let's not let things get out of line. We don't want to hear any surprises. You know, those kind of things. Those are maintenance focused words. Entrepreneurial is... What opportunities are there? How can we go after them? How can we energize the body to really go out and reach the world around us? And I see us in a kind of a parallel situation to the book of Acts chapter 2. In the sense with Acts chapter 2, Peter had a corrupt generation around him and he was saying, you can be this way, but the day of judgment's coming. And I think we as a church with our culture around us see a culture that is headed in a really bad direction. And we have to be able to say, you need to repent toward God and come to Jesus Christ. Because God will not put up with this garbage forever. There will come a day of judgment. And that day is coming upon us. And as the days accelerate, I look at what's going on and I think, you know, I'm not getting political, I'm just saying, it just seems to be accelerating faster and faster. How much time do we have left? And understand, I say this with a good intention, when we're all said and done, I want us to be able to say, not that we presented a spotless church building to the Lord, but that we submitted to the Lord a spotless body of Jesus Christ. 
because we reach the world around us. I want to read a quote from Mike Iaconelli. Some of you might remember his name from way gone by. Unfortunately, Mike's not with us anymore. Mike Iaconelli said, the most critical issue facing Christians is not abortion, pornography, or the disintegration of the family, moral absolutes, MTV, that dates it, doesn't it? Drugs, racism, sexuality, or school prayer. The critical issue today is dullness. We have lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news, it is okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing, it is life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. But friends, life is messy. God made it that way. Our goal is to deliver the ragged, poor, and hungry to the one who can save them starting with us. Would you bow in prayer with me right now? As we bow in prayer, um, I don't want to overlook this. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it could be that there's someone in here. Just bow your head, close your eyes, please. It could be somebody in here that you've never, you've never really landed this in your life. You've heard about Jesus. Uh, you hear about all this stuff, and it's like, well, he was a good guy and everything but you have never gotten on your knees before the Lord and said, Lord, I am a sinner deserving of your judgment. And I know Jesus died for me and I desperately need Jesus. This is not a mental decision. This is an act of desperation where you know you need Jesus in your life. And if you've never done that, if you've never truly made the statement that you're receiving Jesus as Savior, or maybe you've made that decision, but you've never actually told anyone else you're hiding it. This is a chance today for you to take the step of saying, God, I need Jesus. I receive him as my Savior. Will you come into my life? And if you've never actually told a group before or you've stuck your neck out on the line and said yes I have a new identity and it's in Jesus Christ this is a chance for you to do that today so with every head bowed and every eye closed I'd like to ask this if today for the first time you are receiving Jesus as your savior and coming to him today for the first time would you raise your hand Is there anyone here today, head bowed and eyes closed, anyone here today who needs to make a public statement that yes, I have received Jesus as my Savior? Would you raise your hand? If we have a body of Jesus Christ here in this church who have received Jesus and honor him, then God's will for us now is to take this message into the world to those who do not have it. And my prayer is that we at FRAC will hold nothing back in terms of being entrepreneurial and missional in our focus. We're not delegating that to our missionaries overseas, but we're saying we want them to work and we want to work ourselves for the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you for all you have done in our lives. We thank you that we know you, we know the truth, but Lord, there's a whole world out there that is confused, that is spiraling downhill. We need to reach them. We need to honor you and go after those who need to know you before it's too late. Because honestly, Father, in this church of Bible-knowledgeable people and scholars, none of us can really say when you're returning.
We just don't know. And that day could be any time. So help us to be active while it is still day. To the glory of Jesus. Amen.